everyone, my name is Sheila and I'm one of the leaders here at HTBB. So I'm in my early 30s and what that really means is that I spent the last five years attending a whole lot of weddings. But actually that's not entirely true because we recently had a pandemic. So what that actually means is that I spent the last two years attending what should have been the last five years worth of weddings. In fact, I spent so many weekends at weddings that my boss at work has stopped asking me the question, what are you up to this weekend? Instead replacing it with whose wedding are you attending this weekend? But I do love weddings. It's a privilege to share in the joy and festivities um, of the events to witness good friends celebrating a really key milestone in their lives. There's really nothing quite like it. However, anyone who has been a part of any wedding would tell you that organizing a wedding is really no joke. There's just so much to get done. You know, there's so many things you want to get right. The decor, the guest list, the food, the drinks, the atmosphere. You know, you suddenly have to have an eye for design, an ear for music, a taste for food. And let's not even talk about the stakeholder management needed, right? And I was just chatting with Abel the other day and he said that now having conducted so many weddings over the last few years, he can testify that if there's one predominant consistent emotion at every single wedding, it's stress. And I guess you don't get the terms bridezilla or groomzilla for no reason, right? Weddings. Joy, festivities and celebration with undercurrents of stress, a little anxiety and some need for control. And I was thinking, this sounds a little bit like the month of December. It's Christmas time, regardless if you're Christian or not, the malls uh, won't let you forget that it's the most wonderful time of the year. Typically a time of the year that signals joy, hope, festivities, celebration, parties and presents. But it's also a month that can be laced with a whole host of other feelings. Maybe it's stress as we wrap up work uh, and review the year's targets and KPIs. Or anxiety as we think about all the social events coming up where we have to put on a smile on our faces. Or maybe for some, it's grief. You know, maybe we wish the season looked a little bit different where we could spend uh, the time with loved ones who aren't around. Or maybe for others, it's loneliness. It's a season that reminds us of that desire we have for a connection. Or maybe even for others, we're struggling feeling almost guilty to find joy amidst all that we see going on in the world. And there is a lot in the world, uh, a lot of pain that we see in the news these days. Bringing love, peace and joy amidst life's chaos, I think is a specialty of Jesus. And the passage for today is set in a wedding. And I believe as we delve into the events of this passage, we can learn or be reminded of some truths about Jesus to carry with us into this last month of 2023, but also whenever we find ourselves in need of these fruits. So let's read from John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not come yet. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind, that, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. 
They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after. The guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for each and every person watching this message right now. I pray that you fill us with your spirit and that you open this passage to us and teach us new uh, revelations about who you are um, and uh, how our lives can be transformed through your presence here. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think there's a few truths that we can learn from this passage. And the first truth is this. Jesus is sovereign. Verse 3 we read, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not come. And his mother simply said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. It's a little bit of a strange exchange here between Jesus and Mary. First of all, let's clarify one thing that might be on your mind the word or the term woman. There's a few questions here. Now, firstly, was this rude? The short answer is no. Yes, it feels a little bit weird that he called his mom that, and it kind of sounds rude, but let's remember that this was a different culture and a different context. Going back to the original language, the word that he used here actually wasn't one of disrespect, but rather it was one of respect that you would use towards a female person. In today's context, maybe something like lady or ma'am or miss. And secondly, the question you might be asking is then, well, why didn't he address her as his mother? Even though we can establish that he was being respectful, it's still a little bit odd to address your mom as miss or ma'am. And so let's explore, you know, where does this event lie in the timeline of Jesus's life? So just before this passage, we read of Jesus starting his ministry. The Spirit of God landed on him and he started to build his team of disciples. And the wedding in Cana was taking place just days within the start of Jesus' ministry. Actually, it's the first recorded miracle in John's Gospel. And so here what Jesus is doing is that he's drawing this distinction. He's drawing a distinction um, that as he fulfills his purpose on earth, he operates under a different authority, the authority of God. In John chapter 5, later on, verse 19, we read, The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus here was making it clear that whatever he would do was not on the basis of his mother-son relationship. And Mary herself wasn't offended. On the contrary, I believe it's because of this that she had faith that he would do something. Actually, Mary never explicitly asked Jesus to do anything to begin with. She merely went to him and stated the problem. There is no wine, which Jesus probably already knew about. And then she then turned to the servants and told them to obey Jesus' instructions, leaving the decision to act within Jesus' will and discretion. How often do we stop to ponder on the sovereignty of God? And why is this important? And what does that directly mean? For us. This idea that there is a God who is completely independent and in control could be either extremely comforting or completely unnerving. And when I think about God's sovereignty, I find it helpful to think of it from three angles. 
So the first is the idea of God is limitless. God's sovereignty is this natural consequence of his omniscience, omnipotence, and his omnipresence. He has all the wisdom and the knowledge to decide, plus all the power and authority to implement anything that he chooses to do within his creation. He's completely unrestricted. And how this makes us feel is probably a reflection of our perception of God. Throughout history, there have been many concepts of gods, uh, including concepts like um, detached, a detached God, an erratic God, or even a tyrannical God. And that's why the next few points uh, or angles to see the concept of sovereignty is integral to our understanding from a Christian perspective. So the second angle is that God is immutable, that is, he's unchanging, and he's impassable, that is, he's unaffected by emotion. As we read through the Bible, this is an absolutely key characteristic of God. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's consistent in his character, his will, and his promises. But also, he's impassable. This means that he does not experience emotional change. You know, unlike us, human beings who uh, can make different decisions depending on how happy or sad we are uh, or how hungry or tired we are or even you know, before we had our morning coffee, after we had our morning coffee. There's nothing like that that can affect God in his character nor in his emotion as he exercises his sovereignty over creation. And in a world that is ever-changing and uncertain, I personally find it very comforting that everything I know of God Everything I read in the Bible remains true for all of time. But still, that God is limitless yet consistent maybe doesn't resonate yet on a personal level, which brings me to the final angle, which is this. God's relationship with creation is love. We can have faith in this sovereign God because he is love. When he created the world, he said that it is good. And Jesus came into the world because of love, to save us and to give us life. He invites us into this relationship. He invites us into conversation through prayer. And just as Mary conversed with him, asking him to do something about the wine situation, we too can talk to Jesus about the needs that we have and the needs that we see around us that we have no power to affect on our own. And we can rest in the fact that Jesus, who is in control and who is consistent and who loves us, will only do what is ultimately good. That brings us to the second truth that we can learn from the passage today, which is that Jesus sees you. Let's take a moment now to just imagine the events that happen here like a movie scene. You know, you might even want to close your eyes for a moment to think about it. So if I were to direct the play-by-play -play of the scene, it would probably look a little bit like this. You know, it's a wedding, there's merriment, and the guests are having fun, enjoying the food and drinks. You know, maybe think back to the most enjoyable, fun wedding that you've ever attended. The atmosphere, the crowds, the people, the smiling couple, the yum things that's happening. Then, amidst all of that, discreetly, probably one of the servants slips over to the couple and whispers something into their ears. The bride and the groom look at each other, colors slowly draining from their faces, realizing the shame that awaits them. Running out of a wine at a wedding was a major social mistake at that time. And as they eye the guests around them, enjoying the very last drops of their wine, they glance over to the master of the banquet, 
He doesn't seem to be aware, but he would need to be made aware soon. And then quietly, they start to discuss among themselves, amongst the family, what to do, trying their best not to reveal widely what's going on. Of course, I'm just kind of guessing what happened. It's not written in the passage, but I can imagine the actual situation to be quite similar. You know, this was a very private crisis that was happening. We know from the passage that the master of the banquet had no clue uh, about anything that took place, which means the guests were not made aware yet as well. But somehow, amidst this private crisis, Jesus and his mother saw the couple's exasperation. Maybe they were consulted in this process. Maybe they were just very good at reading facial expressions. But ultimately, Jesus sees this private struggle experienced by the couple. And I wonder if you've ever felt or experienced something similar. Moments of quiet desperation, quiet pain. To talk about it feels hard. To have it known publicly feels shameful. Jesus sees you and he knows. You know, do you believe that Jesus truly knows you and knows the needs that you have? Something that I find really interesting about this passage is the fact that Jesus was actually there at the wedding. You know, Jesus had a relatively short time here on earth uh, and a very specific, bigger than life and kind of painful purpose ahead of him. Not to mention he had 12 disciples to invest in within that time. I mean, if I had 12 direct reports at work, I think I would have no time for anything else. Yet amidst all of that, he chose to spend an evening to celebrate this couple's marriage. It almost feels intentional, you know. Yes, he must have known the couple to be invited, but perhaps he knew, you know, perhaps he knew the couple. He knew the financial burden uh, that this wedding had on them. Perhaps he knew even the events that would unfold and he knew that there was a need to be met. There are a few important characters here, actually, besides uh, other than Jesus that contributed greatly to this miracle. The probably very bewildered servants. And I wonder if we can take a leaf out of that book um, on how we see ourselves being the hands or feet of God. You know, Jesus could have done a lot more on his own at the wedding. Now, did he really need the help of the servants? Of course not. He could fill, the, he could fill those uh, jars on his own. He could turn the water to wine on his own. And yet, he chose to involve them, to involve the servants in this very private, quiet miracle. We, we recently ran a survey on HTBB's Instagram about feelings towards Christmas. And the results were actually really encouraging. It appears that many of you feel really excited and really joyful when it comes to the Christmas season. However, what we also saw was that about 10%, about 10% of people reported feeling either lonely or anxious around this season. And perhaps that feels like a relatively small number, but if you think about it, that's one in 10 people. And in a church our size, that's probably over 100 people among us. That's friends, family, connect group members, team members who are looking for some connection and some peace at this time. And if that's not you, I encourage you to, to pray for Jesus, to help you see as he sees, to show you who they are within your community, who to reach out to, who to send some encouragements to, who to draw alongside in this time. And as you obey, just as the servants did, perhaps you can be the answer to someone's prayer and you would be amazed and blessed through how God would use your obedience in great ways. But if you are one of the 10%, know that this sovereign God is a God who is responsive to people's needs. 
He's not detached from human struggle. In fact, he is very, very present with us, just as he was at the wedding in Cana. He sees you, he knows you, and he is also with you. And finally, there's the third and final truth that Jesus works through. Not over, not under, and not around, but he works through. In verse 6, we read, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And then, of course, the master was very impressed. In verse 10, we read, he said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. So here's what Jesus wasn't doing. Jesus wasn't adding wine to an already abundant par party for a good time. The Bible is very clear that intoxication uh, and drunkenness are not condoned behavior. Uh, and we know that when the wine Jesus made was brought out, the guests were clearly very sober and could even taste the difference. But here's what Jesus was doing. He was addressing a specific problem that no one would have wished upon any couple at that time. But when you think about it, Jesus did what he did for the couple only because and as a result of this event actually happening. He didn't prevent the incident. You know, he could have just enabled the existing wine to multiply before it ran out. He didn't stop the panic. He allowed there to be some sense of panic brewing by allowing it to be known to a few, at least the servants, that the wine had run out. And he didn't step in immediately to solve it. He acted following a need being actively brought towards him. Jesus worked through an unwanted incident to make this wedding even better than it could have been without Jesus. I think there's a misconception when people think about the concept of God's sovereignty. That total power means total intervention at all times. But that's not true. No, one helpful way that I heard it uh, explained is this analogy involving a human and an ant. And bear with me for a moment as I explain it. You know, for example, if I, a human being, came across an ant in a bowl, there is no doubt that I am sovereign over this ant. You know, I have the power uh, to do anything to this ant. The fate of the ant is totally in my control, at least while I can see it. But I can also just allow it to continue living in this bowl. That doesn't reduce my sovereignty, it doesn't reduce my ability over this ant. And it's a similar case with God. Allowing unfortunate events to unfold or allowing us to experience certain challenges doesn't mean that God's not sovereign. On the contrary, time and time again, what we read in the Bible is that God works through moments like these. And I find that when he does, there are three characteristics of what happens. Firstly, there is greater blessing. What God does brings about an impact that only God can bring. You know, the amount of wine that Jesus supplied at the wedding was likely more than the wedding party could consume. And likely it was deliberate. You know, selling the excess wine after the wedding could likely be a source of income for the newlyweds who were clearly struggling financially. It's just a gift that keeps on giving. Secondly, when God does something, it's usually unexpected. You know, in this story, he made wine. Um, that was greater than the wine that was supplied. In others, he heals. In others, he performs signs and wonders. And in others, he also just simply transforms hearts. 
God's ways are beyond us and his solutions are probably never what we could have planned on our own ability or strength. And finally, when God does something, it usually brings about personal revelation of who God is. Jesus doesn't necessarily act publicly. You know, this particular story was a quiet miracle. Only a few people at the time actually knew what happened. But as he works, ultimately, the point isn't the miracle, but it's the person to open our eyes towards him, encouraging us to continually rely on him, to continually seek him, further than allowing him to do even more in our lives. I used to run a connect group in Bangsa, and in 2017, we decided to uh, go away on our first ever connect group retreat. And uh, really wanted it to be a special thing, but also wanted it to be, you know, something that we could get away from, you know, without phones and without devices. And so we booked this really kind of ghetto farm, vegetable farm in Uluyam. And when I say ghetto, it, it, you know, I think if the winds blew, the walls would rattle. And we had this full agenda planned, um, including cooking our meals together, plucking vegetables together. Uh, there was a Bible study planned based on Exodus. Um, there were tons of activities and games that we were going to do while we were away. Um, and so the weekend came, being Malaysians, it was already off to a late start. And so we were kind of on our way to this vegetable farm. And I remember as I was driving there, I started to feel a bubbling sense of anxiety. You know, I really wanted this weekend to go well. It was our first one um, and I was a little bit nervous. But I remember as I was driving, I just prayed a simple prayer to God. I said, God, um, I just want this weekend to bring us together as a community. So I pray that relationships will be strengthened and friendships will be formed. And that was that, you know, we went about our first day uh, and things were going all right. They had a full day planned all the way until nighttime. And so, you know, by the time it was bedtime, we were really exhausted. But there was one challenge. There were 17 of us and about only two to three showers. So you do the math. So we had to slowly work our way through the group uh, to take turns using the showers. And then at about midnight, when there were still about nine of us left uh, to use the showers, there was a complete blackout. And given that this was a very ghetto homestay, all the showers operated with electric pumps, so stopped working instantly. In fact, one of us was in the toilet, stuck mid-shampoo in the dark, unsure what just happened. And when we checked with TNB, there, wasn't, there wouldn't be a solution for the next couple of hours. And so here we had a few options. We could um, just go to bed, which felt a little icky given the day we just had. We could wait for TNB, which would probably only be solved around 3 a.m. And then suddenly a quiet suggestion came from one of the newest members in our connect group. His name is Justin. He and his wife joined us mere weeks before the weekend away. Actually, to this day, I have no idea why they chose to go away for a weekend with a bunch of strangers. But um, he said that his family actually has a house nearby uh, and that we could drive over and use the showers there, which was great. So half of us, you know, nine of us uh, filed into two cars. We drove over. It was raining at the time, so we drove over in the rain to the house. Only that when we reached, Justin realized his parents had changed the locks um, to the gate so we couldn't drive in. Which was fine. Justin said, let's just park outside and let's climb the gate. So these gates were, were taller than us, you know, it was about five, I think six foot gates. And he's like, okay, it's fine, you know, we can just jump over, we can climb. So, okay, you know, we parked our cars in the rain. There were nine of us, mostly girls. Uh, we created a bit of a ruckus trying to climb these gates. Um, let's just say none of us are cut out to be thieves or spies. And finally, after all that drama, we managed to jump over the gate and land, not looking dodgy at all. And as all of us landed, uh, thinking the worst was beyond us, what we saw in front of us, a short distance away, was a line of very angry, scary-looking 
guard dogs. And so these guard dogs, obviously very perplexed that a bunch of people were breaking into the house, were barking furiously at all of us, but also slightly confused because they recognized Justin. Um, so they weren't attacking us, but they were angry and ready to attack. And so Justin had to stand between us and the dogs and uh, have us all go behind him into the house, which thankfully we could open. Seriously, you can't make this stuff up. So we were finally in the house and, uh, you know, we, we took turns, used the showers there and... Uh, it was just like, you know, what a night it's been. And so it was about um, 2 a.m. when we got in. And uh, by the time we were all done, it was about 3 a.m. And we thought, you know, we're already in a house. Uh, there's beds here. Let's just, let's just sleep. Let's just sleep in this house. And we can go back to the main farm after. And suddenly, we get a phone call from someone from the main house with two pieces of news. The good news is electricity is back. Hooray! The second news was someone who came with us on this excursion had accidentally taken um, the contact lens case for someone back in the main house. And so they needed that in order to go to bed. And so at 3 a.m., in our pajamas, we had to make our way back out in the drizzle, past the barking guard dogs, climb back over the six-foot gate, into the cars, and back to the farm, and straight to sleep. You know, as a connect group, we, we stayed together um, for the next five years before multiplying into three last year. But most of us have stayed really good friends till now, including Justin and his wife. We've journeyed through weddings, funerals, uh, newborns, career changes, uh, the pandemic together. But if I were to trace back, honestly, the moment that truly transformed our friendship, I think it was that night at the vegetable farm when the lights went out. And actually, I remember driving back to church the, the, the day after um, the retreat and just kind of thinking and reflecting and talking to God, saying, you know, God, you're a funny one. <laughs> because as much as I could have planned the perfect CG retreat, nothing that I could plan would have answered my initial prayer about friendship as good as the way that things turned out. The events were very far from ideal, but the outcome was truly the best possible one. I know this story can sound a little comical, but I can also think back to many challenging personal events where I've seen God work and somewhere I'm still waiting to see how God will work. And here's not what I'm saying. You know, I'm not saying that God causes bad things to happen for good reasons. But we do live in a fallen world where pain exists and God does allow creation free will and that can take the shape of bad consequences through our or others' choices. But what we can be certain is that God works for the good of those who love Him. And that's in Romans 8.28. That in all situations, God can bring about the best possible outcome. Not by working around these things, but by working through. Through the challenge, through the struggle, the confusion, through the grief, through the desperate prayers that we have. And when breakthrough comes, it will be beyond our expectations, even greater in blessing and unmistakably God. All we need to do is invite Jesus in, just as he was invited to that wedding in Cana. I think that it's no coincidence that Jesus' first recorded miracle is set in a wedding, symbolizing his love for us, but also one that brings about joy in the occasion. Jesus' arrival on earth signals the kingdom is here and that we can experience this kingdom even on this side of eternity. 
And we're going to spend a whole month, the whole month of December, um, exploring the meaning of Jesus arriving here to earth as a baby. But for now, let these truths sink in. That Jesus is very much with us, just as he was present at the wedding, and we can be enveloped in his love, joy, and peace. That doesn't stem from our circumstances or external events, but from his presence that is close to us. Amen. Let's uh, take a moment now to pray um, and welcome the Holy Spirit here. So wherever you are, you might want to stand or kneel or uh, just close your eyes and open your hands to, to say your welcome to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. We welcome your presence here in our spaces and in our hearts. As I was preparing this message, I had um, a word or a sense uh, of one particular part that may have um, stood out to maybe some of you who are watching this, and it's this idea of Jesus sees, um, and that, that maybe there's, so there's someone out there or there's someone watching this that feels um, that there's something very private uh, that they are struggling with um, and is unable to speak about it, is unable to, to talk about it at this point in time. Um, and, I, and I believe that the comfort here is that Jesus sees you um, and that he, he wants you to speak at least to him uh, about this struggle and, and reach out to him in prayer. And so I'm going to pray to close uh, for this and for everyone watching. Um, Holy Spirit, uh, thank you that you are here. Jesus, thank you that you um, came to earth all those years back and, uh, that, that we can, um, and that we can talk to you and that we can know you. Uh, personally, Lord. And I pray for those who may um, be struggling in silence, who may be suffering in private, Lord. I pray that your spirit will uh, draw near alongside them, that they will know your presence with them, um, that they will know your comfort, they will know your love, that they will know your forgiveness as well. And I pray uh, for each person um, watching this, that, you, um, that we will go ahead into the day and the week ahead with your blessings. In Jesus' name. Amen.